0: with me. Let's pray together. Lord, thank you for letting us sing to you just now. Thank you, God, for letting us enter in with a heavenly chorus, God, already going on from the beginning of time. (laughs) What a pleasure, Lord, to worship you. What a gift, Lord. What an undeserved gift, Lord, that we get to sing praises to your name. Thank you, Lord. God, we want to come to your word now. Please, Lord, speak to us. By the power of your spirit, God, according to the goodness of your grace, Lord, speak to us through your word. God, when you speak through your word, idols come down. False gods are removed, cast into the dirt, crushed under your feet. God, when you speak, your church is built up. Speak to us, Lord. God, let us worship you through your word. And God, our, we just say that our right now our brains are not enough. Our intellect is not enough, Lord. God, unless you come now, unless you come, God, and help me and empower me to preach your word, it's all vain. It's all meaningless. God, unless you come into the hearts of your children, to the hearts of your church, And open our eyes to the glories of your word, the glories of your truth, God. All of this is in vain. God, we don't want to meet together in vain right now. We want to meet for your glory and for your namesake. So please, Lord, I ask you, help us. Help us, God, as we open your word. God, you say this psalm that we're going to read in just a moment, God, you say that children are the heritage from you, that the fruit of the womb is a reward. So, God, I lift up the children that are represented all across this room, God, those in the womb, those outside of the womb, God, these children, I pray for them, God. God, I pray that you would raise up a generation of men and women that love you so deeply, God. I pray that you would open their eyes to their sin, God. Help them to see their need for you, God. Don't let them be blinded by the enemy. And God, we just say that unless you move in our children's hearts, it's all vain. It's all vain. All our parenting is vain. So God, move in their hearts. God, all of them represented here. God, I pray that you would give them a moment in time. Where the the veil is stripped away, Lord, and they see you high lifted up, they see you glorious, they see your cross, and they they are they fall deeply in love with you. God, do that with children all across this room, Lord. And I'll pray for that, even for those that are too young to even understand, Lord, that you would begin. You would begin in their lives from a very young age to save their souls and bring them to you, Lord. Raise up an army for your glory. Raise up armies of men and women, God, to speak with enemies in the gates. Raise them up, Lord, for your glory. God, I pray for some of these children that are old enough to understand that are even praying with us right now, Lord. I pray for them. God, I pray that You would hear You would hear the prayers of their parents, God. And that even this day, You would open their eyes to Your glory, God, and save their souls. God, I pray for those kids here now that can understand You, that can understand even this prayer. God, save their souls. Bring them out of darkness and into light, Lord. Save them, Lord. God, release them from the grip of the enemy. Tear him from his teeth. God, I pray that you would make this a bad day in Satan's kingdom as his goods are plundered, as his children come to you. God, we need your help. When we read these words, Lord, give us ears to hear. Give us ears to hear, Lord. In Jesus' name, amen. We're going to be in Psalm 127 for the most part, but right now, turn to Ecclesiastes chapter 2. I want to read Ecclesiastes chapter 2, verse 4. Through 11. So get your eyes on that with me, please. Please, ask you chapter 2, verse 4. This is Solomon speaking here. Solomon says, Think about Solomon's life. Everything that anybody ever wanted, right, with Solomon's life. I made my works great. I built myself houses and planted myself vineyards. I made myself gardens and orchards and I planted all kinds of fruit trees in them. I made myself water pools from which to water the growing trees of the grove. I acquired male and female servants and had servants born in my house. Yes, I had greater possessions of herds and flocks than all who were in Jerusalem before me. I also gathered for myself silver and gold and the special treasures of kings and of the provinces. I acquired male and female singers, the lights of the sons of men, and musical instruments of all kinds. So I became great and excelled more than all who were before me in Jerusalem. Also, my wisdom remained with me. Amazing accomplishments, right? Anybody else have this record? Verse 10. Whatever my eyes desired, I did not keep from them. I did not withhold my heart from any pleasure. For my heart rejoiced in all my labor. And this was my reward for my labor. Listen to this. Look back on all that accomplishment. And listen to verse 11. From Solomon. Then I looked on all the works that my hands had done. And the labor which I had toiled. And indeed, all was vanity. A grasping for the wind. And there was no profit under the sun. Can you imagine that? Stacking up. I did this and I did this and I did this. And have this accomplishment and this accomplishment. I've done all these things. Achieved more than everybody else in Jerusalem before me. And then he takes a glance back over his life. And he says every single bit of it was meaningless. In fact, he calls it a grasping after the wind. It's nothing. You grasp for the wind and you catch nothing. It's profitless. As he looks back over his life, he says there was no profit under the sun. So isn't that a shame to live a life of vanity? This same author wrote a song. Turn with me to Psalm one twenty seven, the same author, Solomon, who's speaking about the possibility of living a life full of stuff and yet vain, completely vain. And he wrote Psalm one twenty-seven, which also has a similar theme of warning us about an existence that is meaningless and an existence that is this vanity is vain, it's with no purpose. And let me read this psalm that he wrote. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. Unless the Lord guards the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows, for so he gives his beloved sleep. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hands of a warrior. So are the children of one's youth, happy as a man who has his quiver full of them, they shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. So let's begin talking about vanity. These first. Two verses, these first three sentences and these first two verses, they all begin in their original language. They begin with, with this phrase in vain. There's an emphasis here. He said in vain, in vain, in vain at the beginning of each one of these sentences. So think about verse one and two. In vain you build a house unless God builds it. In vain you guard the city unless God is guarding it. In vain you get up early, you stay up late, and you just eat the bread of anxious told. It's all vanity. So there's an emphasis here about vanity or a life of a, a meaningless existence. Vain means that. It means meaningless, empty, pointless, without value. And no one... I'm sure Solomon didn't feel like it was vain when he was in the midst of those things that we read about in Ecclesiastes 2, right? There's a way, there's a way that seems right to a man. I mean, it seems so right to us. Don't you know that that can happen? That the way can seem so right to us and so good and so okay and so purposeful. And yet in the end, it leads to death is what it says in the Proverbs. There's a way that can seem so right and so meaningful. And yet in the end, you look back over your life, and it's just vanity. I want us all, as we think through these first three sentences that have an emphasis on a, a warning against a vain life, I want us all to think through think through this in a way of examining ourselves. Let's examine our lives. When you come to the end of your rope, and you're just about to enter into eternity, when that when that happens for you, are you going to look back over your life and see vanity? Or will you look back over your life and see a life aggressively lived for the glory of the living God that has purpose to it? I want you to examine yourself as we think through these verses. I think I heard a story recently and nothing or hardly anything more heart-wrenching than hear, to hear of an old man on, on, just on the precipice of death. He's about to go over the edge and he begins to weep and say, I wasted it, I wasted it, I wasted my life. And so I'm here to say, let's not waste our lives. In vain, in vain, in vain is a possibility, but let's not waste our lives. Think about your life five minutes into eternity. Five minutes in, you enter into eternity, you're five minutes in, you look back over your life, you just live. Do you really think that so many of the things that we pursue and go after, you'll say, I wish I had more of that. Wish I spent more time making money. Wish I spent more time doing this thing and that thing and that activity and this, this entertainment. What will you think about your life five minutes into eternity? Don't waste your life. In these first three sentences, it's clear to me that if you do nothing, if you do nothing, you'll waste your life. I mean, it's, it's assumed, it's not the main point, but it's assumed here that you will build, that you will watch, that you will stand guard. That you will labor. That's assumed in these first three sentences. If you do nothing, you will waste your life. First Corinthians fifteen fifty-eight. It says, "Beloved brethren, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that your labor is not in vain in the Lord." So we must do something, and yet it's still in vain, still wasted if you do something. You do something, but it's without God. You can do something, but it's godless. Unless the Lord builds a house, your labor's in vain. Unless God guards the city, it's watched over. You're a watchman in vain. So it's in vain. It's, vain. it's a life of vanity if you do something, and yet God is not in it. It doesn't matter how great a builder you are. If God is not in it, it will all crumble. It doesn't matter how great a watchman you are. If God's not in it, nothing is safe. It does not matter how great of an evangelist that you are. If God doesn't move, souls are not safe. It doesn't matter if you're a towering intellect. and you have all the intellect that you want, you've got that. But if God doesn't open your eyes, you are a fool. It doesn't matter how good you think you are. If God does not protect you, you will drown yourself in sin. You could be the greatest parent on earth. Read all the Gloria Furman books. And go to all the homeschool conferences. You could do all that stuff. But if God doesn't move in the life of your children, it's vanity. It's nothing. Grace Community Church, do you fear wasting your life? Do you fear that? Is there something in you that it grips you of, I don't want to waste my life. I don't want to come to the end of the rope and look back. And it's all vanity. It's all grasping after the wind. And nothing was gained under the sun. You imagine that. Imagine building a building for several years. And it's tedious work. And year after year, you build it and you build it and you build it year after year. And when you go to put those, just those final, those finishing touches on the building, in that moment, it all crumbles at your feet. And so many people, you would weep and complain that something like that would happen, and yet, and yet, you're living a life now that that's what's going to happen one day. You're going to come to the end of the road and say, "I've wasted it. I have wasted it. It all crumbled before my eyes, and it meant nothing." And I say, "Don't waste your life." The fear of vanity. Makes me, and I hope it makes you too, the fear of vanity makes me want to line my life up with the will of God, which drives me to His Word. It drives me to the Word of God because if if I can live a vain life like that, well then I want to line myself up with the will of God. I want to get on board with God and therefore it drives me to His Word. So examine your life, your life in light of God's Word. Examine yourself even now, the activities that you engage in, the money that you spend, the schedule that you make, the things that you do with your time. Does it make sense in light of God's word? Are there things in God's word that you're neglecting even now? Disobedience to God leads to vanity, a life wasted. Fear of vanity makes me Desire God's hand on everything that I do. All through the words you see that. And the hand of God was with them. And the hand of God was with them. And the hand of God was with them. So this thought of wasting my life makes me want God's hand on everything I do. Which means it drives me to my knees in prayer. It drives me to cry out to the living God. So I encourage you. bathe everything that you do in prayer. Unless the Lord builds a house, you labor in vain. Your preaching of the word, your evangelism, your your child training, your work, the tedious things, everything. Bathe it in prayer. Just bathe it in prayer. Say to God, God, unless unless you guard this, unless you guard this, unless you build this, it's all vanity, Lord. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Samuel Chadwick said this. He said, Satan dreads nothing but prayer. His one concern is to keep the saints from praying. He fears nothing from prayerless studies, prayerless work, prayerless religion. He laughs at our toil, mocks our wisdom, but he trembles when we pray. Did you know that prayerlessness is a sin? The prophet Samuel said that, right? Prayerlessness is a sin. He said, far be it from me to sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Prayerlessness expresses to God, either I can do what I want to do and I don't need you, God. Or prayerlessness expresses, I'm very content to waste my life. I'm very content to continue on living in a meaningless existence. Prayerlessness is a sin against God. So let's pray to the Lord. Lord, unless you build the house, we labor in vain. who build it. God, come. God, do a mighty work. Work in their hearts. Work in their souls. Build me up, Lord. Help me, Lord Jesus. Let's pray. Let's be a people that pray to God. In verse 1, it tells us, Psalm 127 and 1, that it's an empty and meaning, meaningless life if it's without God. If God is not moving in your life. And then what happens in verse 2 is we get a description of of one example of what it might look like to waste your life in this way. Or what a vain life might look like without God. So the description in verse 2, look at it. It is vain for you to rise up early, to sit up late, to eat the bread of sorrows. The ESV says to eat the bread of anxious toil. So it says it's vain for you to rise up early, sit up late, and eat the bread of anxious toil. Now, some of you that like to go to bed early and sleep in, and I, you just half out each other. Don't do that. It's not what this is about. This is not about it being a sin. to In fact, it's not about it being a sin. To get, it's not a sin to get up early, right? In fact, a lot of us could use a push to get up earlier. Like Jesus, Mark 1.35, he rose before the sun came up and he went out to a solitary place and there he prayed. That's not the point of this. The picture here is someone, think about this, the vanity of life. Someone that's in this cycle of getting up early to go to work. Working till late. Working till later than he ought to. And behind all of that long labor is he's eating the bread of anxious toil. Does this describe anybody here? Does this describe you? I rise up early to work. I come back late. And it's all motivated by me and my anxious toil. I got to build my career. I got to guard my comforts. I'm worried about this. Worried about that. Anxiety is ruling you. Is that you? Examine your life. This this verse in no way condemns hard work. In fact, Christians are the hardest working people on the planet. Because we know that our Lord has said to us, Whatever you do, do with all your heart. As to the Lord and not to man. So this is in no way condemning the hard work. Which Christians ought to be all about. But this is what often happens. We buy into materialism. We buy into the living standards that are found in this world. And it's all in vain. We find ourselves buying in to the materialism and the greed and the fears of this world. And i got to live just like all the world around me. And when I walk away from my life and it's all said and done, it's vanities. It is vain for you to live like this. The prophet Haggai in in Haggai chapter 1, he speaks about, Haggai writes to a group of people who were coming back from captivity in Babylon. When they got back from captivity, it says that, that they were commanded by God to begin to build the temple. To rebuild the temple there. And they started strong and they went after rebuilding the temple, doing what God had told them to do. And here they are, they're going after, they're doing that. And suddenly they find themselves slacking off and pulling back on it. And the prophet Haggai comes to him and says, consider your ways. Consider your ways. Is it time for you to dwell in your own paneled houses while the temple lies in ruins? I've got work for you to do that's not in vain, but you're too busy building your own paneled houses. He said, it's like you're earning money and you're put into a bag with holes. Doesn't that sound vain? Doesn't that sound wasteful? Meaningless. Here's the money, I earned it, put it into a bag of holes, where'd it go? And this is the cycle of life. Again, and again, and again. I want you, I want to flip to a verse here, Proverbs 23. Thinking about this, this vanity, and especially there in verse 2, this I'm pressed by my anxieties, my anxious toll, and therefore I go to work early, stay up late. This is my life. It's all about my anxious toll and my work. Listen to Proverbs 24, verse, excuse me, Proverbs 23, verse 4. Do not overwork to be rich. Do not overwork to be rich. Because of your own understanding, Cease. Will you set your eyes on that which is not? For riches certainly make themselves wings. They fly away like an eagle toward heaven. He says, listen, don't do that. Don't overwork to be rich. Don't you know that these riches, it's like they pick up wings and they fly away. Why are you spending your life for this? You bought into it. From the world, the world's living standards, the way the world says you should be, the materialism and greed of this world. You bought into it and now you must overwork to keep up. He says, don't do that. Don't you know? Because of your own understanding, cease. Cease, he says here. So are you having to live out? I want you to examine yourself? Are you having to live out a Psalm 127, verse 2 type life? So that you can keep up with your life that aligns more with the American dream than it does with the Bible. Is that you? Do you fit that description? Ecclesiastes 4 6 says, better a handful, it's one handful with quietness than two handfuls with toil and grasping for the wind. Better a handful with quietness than two handfuls, two handfuls with toil and grasping for the wind. So I want to put out that warning. I want to put out that warning not to live this life of work and toil toil that is, is charged by You eating the bread and I just told him. The next phrase there, verse two says, for so he gives his beloved sleep. He gives his beloved sleep. Now, this is not referring to, you know, exactly how many hours you get every night. I get is six hours. I get eight hours. Although I believe God gives us that, that. God helps with our sleep. I believe that. But this is not necessarily referring to, you know, exactly how many hours that I get. And was it that good kind or was it that bad kind? That's not the point here. The point here, this is the life of God. This is the life that God gives someone that is the opposite of the life of anxious toil. This is, but he gives his beloved rest. He gives his beloved sleep. This This is a life of rest in God. A life of peace in God. Listen to Psalm 3. Let me flip back to Psalm 3. Here's the idea of He gives His beloved sleep. Psalm 3 verse 1, David says, Lord, how they have increased who trouble me. Many are they they who rise up against me. Many are they who say to me, there is no help for him in God. So you imagine David, he's got armies all around him saying, there's no hope for him. There's no help for him to be found in God. He's being pushed and charged. And he says in verse 3, But you, O oh Lord, are a shield for me the glory and the one who lifts up my head. And he begins to cry out to his God. So imagine that scenario. Many about me who say there's no help in God, but my God is the lifter of my head. And verse 5 says, I lay down and slept. I slept. I lay down and slept. I awoke for the Lord sustained me. I will not be afraid of ten thousands of people who have set themselves against me all around you get the picture there? This is not about David and how many hours of sleep he got that night. It's this idea that in the midst of everybody against me, 10,000s all around me, armies surrounding me, in the midst of that, I sleep, I rest. Why? Because I trust in the living God. It's the opposite of a life of anxious told. Think about Jesus on that boat when the waves are going crazy, the storms all around him, and he's asleep. The point is not Jesus was just tired. That's not the point. The point is he rests there as one who trusts in his father. As one who has faith in his father right there in that moment. And he looks up at his disciples who say to him. They say, do you not care that we're about to die? You don't care, Jesus, about this? And he says, oh, why are you fearing you of little faith? He gives his beloved sleep. And this idea is the opposite of this life. Rise up early. Got to get up early. Got to work more. Got to get more done. Got to work until late because of my Anxious toil. It's a life of rest in God. I want to give you... Excuse me for flipping to some several places today. But Luke chapter 12. I want to put before you two common life wasters. In vain, in vain, in vain. I want to put before you two common life wasters. One of them is materialism. And the other one is fear. Both of these things will tempt you to live the life of vanity that would cause you to rise up early, stay up late in vain because of your anxious toil. Materialism and fear will tempt you in this way. Look at Luke 12 verse 15. And Jesus said to them, take heed, take heed and beware of covetousness. I want more, I want more, I want more, I want more. For one's life does not consist... In the abundance of the things he possesses. You live a life that's about the things you possess. It's wasted. One's life does not not consist in the abundance of things that he possesses. I'll never forget working my first job out of college. And I'm working this job coming out of college. And this guy, and and I'm, I'm, I'm helping a physical therapist. And this guy's sitting across the table and we're talking and I'm trying to talk to him about the things of God in some sort of way. And, and, and he begins to talk about, uh, uh, in some sense, his death and after he dies. And he says, he says this phrase to me. He says, you know, I, my, my motto is he who dies with the most toys wins. I said, take heed and beware of covetousness for one's life does not consist in the bunch of things he possesses. This is a mindset. Maybe you wouldn't say it quite that blunt. Whoever dies with the most toys wins. Maybe you wouldn't say it. That blunt, but the reality is, is we, we tend to be affected by that kind of thinking rather than your life does not consist in the abundance of things that you possess. And he goes on in verse 16 through 21 to tell a, a parable about a rich man. And, he, and all his stuff, all his, his stuff, it came together and his, his crops grew plentifully. And they were, there they were. He had all his stuff. And he said, look, look, this is what I can do. I can build my barns greater and store up all my stuff. And I can eat, drink and be married for the rest of my days. In verse 20, God says, fool. I don't want to come to the end of my road, to the last of my days, go over the cliff of death. I don't want to come to that day and hear God say to me, Fool. Fool. This night your soul will be required of you. Then whose will those things be which you have provided? So is he who lays up treasure for himself and is not rich towards God. This materialism of the world will lead you into what Psalm 127 says vain, vain, vain. And you keep going in verse 22 through about 33. We won't read the whole thing. But you see, not only the materialism, not only the greed, but even fears, which tend to they tend to to seem more, you know, uh, like more of an honest sin that there is such a thing. It's the way we think about it. Verse 22 says, then he said to his disciples, therefore, I say to you, do not worry. Think about this life of anxious toil from Psalm 127, verse two. Do not worry about your life, what you'll eat nor about the body what you'll put on. Life is more than food and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, for they neither sow nor reap, which have neither storehouse nor barn. God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds, of which of you by worrying, can add one cubit to his stature? If you then are not able to do the least, why are you anxious for the rest? Verse 29, do not seek what you should eat or what you should drink, nor have an anxious mind. This idea of fear of, oh no, but what's to come? But what about my future? Will I be provided for? Will I have this? And this life of anxious toil and fear that keeps you from trusting in the God that feeds the ravens. And you find yourself in fear, anxiety. Next thing you know, you look up and you fit Psalm 127, verse 2. It's vain for you to rise up early, stay up late, eat the bread of anxious toil. For so he gives his beloved sleep. Rest in God. Have you ever thought about this? Why, why Why do people seem to settle for mundane, vain lives? Why do people do that? Let's let C.S. Lewis answer that. Listen to C.S. Lewis. He says this. It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered to us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in the slum because he cannot imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. And I say if we could just see the glory of Jesus Christ, Christ, the glory of his word, the glory of his promises, the glory of the mission of God and us getting to be a part of it, we would we would laugh at all the vain trifles that are put before us. We just laugh at them because we see the glory of our Savior. Now, I want to move on. But before I do, I want to say something to everybody here who is lost, who doesn't know Christ. And whether or not a concern for living a vain life is not in accordance with God's word. Whether or not that concern is there for you says a lot about whether or not you're really in Christ or you're lost. I want to say something to you if you're lost. Listen to me. If Christ Jesus the Lord... Is not there. Without Christ Jesus the Lord in your life. My, there's, I see my brothers and sisters all across the room. But many that I don't know and some that I know. You say that you don't know Christ. and so listen to me. Your life is vain without Christ. All of it is meaningless without Jesus. Think about all the things that you try to fill your life with. You try to fill your life with all these things to meet this void of emptiness and vanity that you feel, And so you begin to try to fill it up. But no matter what you try to fill that emptiness with, no matter what you do, you will still stand before judgment one day for your sins. You've rebelled against God and you'll stand before him one day. And so all these things you try to fill up the emptiness with, it's vain, it's meaningless. You're still going to stand before the creator of the universe guilty. Guilty in sin. Your only hope is Christ. And I plead with you to come to Him. Run to Him. Make Him him your highest treasure. Listen to me. You think about this God. You as a sinner. You as one who, just like all the rest of us, sinner before God. You've broken His commands. You deserve nothing but death. Nothing but His wrath. Nothing but hell. And you know it. And here you are in that place. And God Almighty comes on this rescue mission to save you. Jesus Christ is God coming to the flesh to save you and to rescue This is what the cross was all about. When he goes to the cross, your sin laid upon him. The wrath of God put on him instead of you. You're supposed to be condemned, but he's condemned in your place. If you don't come to him, like he says, he says, come to me, all you weary and heavy laden. I'll give you rest for your souls. And if you don't do it, It's vain. It's Christ or bus. It's Christ or nothing. There's no in between. Listen to 1 Peter. Anyone here who's lost, listen to me. Just give me your attention for a moment. 1 Peter 1, verse 18, it says this Knowing this, that you were not redeemed. That's a word for salvation. Bought back. You were saved, reconciled to God. You were not redeemed with corruptible things. Like silver or gold. From your aimless. Conduct. That's your meaningless. Conduct. Life is aimless. Life is vain. But you weren't redeemed. By silver or gold from that aimless conduct. But with the precious blood of Christ. As a lamb. Without blemish and without spot. Christ Jesus the Lord bled on a cross for your sins so that you could be delivered from the empty, vain, aimless life that you live. And you may say, well, I don't, it doesn't feel vain to me. Listen to me. There's a way that seems right to a man in the end, at least to death. Don't get caught at the end of your life, at the end of your road, and you look back and you realize this was all wasted. And this was for nothing. I'm the Christ. Look at verse 3. Psalm 127, verse 3. Let's read the whole thing, 3 through 5. Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward, like arrows in the hand of a warrior, so are the children of one's youth. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gate. I want you to think about this, okay? First three sentences. In vain you build the house if God doesn't build it. In vain you guard the city if God doesn't guard it. In vain you get up early go to bed. It's all vanity. Behold, children. I want you to think about this emphasis. Because I believe Satan is on—he's at work, trying to convince us, Grace Community Church, and all over the world, and specifically you, young moms. Satan trying to convince you that what you do with your children and your parenting is all in vain. It's meaningless. And this very psalm tells you the opposite. In vain, in vain, in vain. Behold, children are heirs from the Lord. That's not vain. That's not meaningless. Behold, verse 3, behold. This means listen. It's like Jesus saying, truly, truly, I say to you. He's trying to draw our attention in. Behold, children are a heritage from God. They're a reward. This is a big deal. It's one of the purposes of marriage, right? Malachi 2.15. Did not God make them both one and while one, He desires godly offspring. It's a big deal. Children. Our heritage from the Lord. I want you to think for just a minute about the world's view of children versus Psalm 127. The world's view of children versus God's view of children. In the world, children are completely devalued. They're seen as nothing but a burden, a pain. They're seen as an inconvenience. I don't want kids and I sure don't want to quiver them. And I want to encourage you not to buy that lie. Verse 3 says children are a heritage from the Lord. That's the word used, heritage. The NAS says gift. Children are a gift from God. They're a reward. I took a recent trip with Lydia to the grocery store, which I don't get to do very often. I went to Sam's. And here I am in Sam's with my eight, five, three, and 1-year-old. Four kids, and and here we are in Sam's. And I didn't realize what she went through when she went to Sam's. And at least three or four times I'm in Sam's and people look at me and they say things like, are those all yours? I feel bad for you. And I'm thinking, they can hear you. <laughs> he's eight. He knows what you just said. But they say things like that. Don't you know what causes that? They say things that show, and all it is, is evidence in our culture that we consider children an inconvenience. We consider them, we consider them vain. And here we are in this Psalm: Vain, vain, vain. Behold children our heritage from god you live in a culture just think about the world's view of children you live in a culture that murders 3000 of those children every single day in america in this culture and you're and you're taught that even even if you disagree with abortion even if you disagree with killing those 3000 children daily you don't need to get too hyped up about it right you don't need to be too zealous in your opposition to it Everybody's got their choice, right? That's the culture that you live in. But yet our Bible says things like this. Psalm 128 verse 3. Your wife shall be like a fruitful vine in the very heart of your house. And your children like all the plants all around your table. Or Jesus, just after Jesus rebukes the disciples for being just a little bit anti-children. He wraps the children up in his arms in Matthew 19, 14. And Jesus says this, Let the little children come to me, and do not forbid them, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. This is the kind of stuff the Bible says about children, not the world. And in Psalm 127, verse 3, a heritage from God. The fruit of the womb is a reward. It's a reward. Now some some of you might be thinking... He's preaching to the choir, man. Babies all over the place around here. <laughs> they know that this a heritage. They know that this a reward. And you might be thinking that. And I just want to encourage you, just because there's a lot of babies that are here among us, a lot of children that have been born to this, this, this church, that does not mean that we are parenting with the right mindset. And it doesn't mean that Satan is not at work convincing and lying and deceiving people about the way they ought to think about their role as parents. I want you to feel this deep in your bones, just like God does. Listen, you, you've been in this culture your, your whole life. Listen, most of you your whole life. Listen, they're a heritage from God. Feel that deep in your bones. They are a gift from God. They are a reward. And so, especially young mothers, listen to me. I've seen this across our church. Young moms getting bombarded with lies from the wicked one and discouraged and downcast. Listen to me. They are a gift from From the Lord. Let that sin down in your bones. And I know sometimes you might not feel like that. And sometimes things might be hard. And there's no doubt. I know all about it. But listen to me. They're a heritage from God. And God means you good. When He gave them to you. I want to encourage everybody in our church. If you're a member of Grace Community Church. To pray for the young mothers that are among us. To pray for them. Pray for them. Pray for their children. Pray for a generation to be raised up that brings glory to the living God. Pray for the husbands to be an encouragement to their wives and build their wives up and help their wives fight against the lies of the enemy and that the husbands themselves would fight in that way. I encourage you, pray for your brothers and sisters and that this would sink down into our bones. Verse 4 and 5, Psalm one twenty-seven, verse 4 and 5, it says, it gives you another description of children like arrows in the hand of a warrior so are the children of one's youth happy is a man who has his quiver full of them they shall not be ashamed but shall speak with their enemies in the gates so here we see more about children being a blessing right it says happy happy is a man that has a quiver full of them you got they're like arrows in the hands of a warrior and the quivers where the arrows are held as happy as a man Blessed is a man that has a quiver full Full of them. So again, you see this mindset of they are a blessing from God. But also what you see in verse four and five is they are their children are a warlike weapon. They're an arrow specifically mentioned here. It says, arrows in the hands of warriors. Listen, they shall speak with their enemies in the gates. Listen to that language about children. Now, that's not what we're used to, right? We're used to purely cutesy language about or about kids. Oh, how cute they are. And they are. And if you say that about my kids after, that's fine. I'm not mad at you. But listen to me. The, the language of the Bible right here is not just cutesy cutesy. It's they are like arrows. They are, it's like wartime. It's like time to go to battle. And we need to raise up some more to speak with the enemies in the gates. And our children will be the ones to do that. Do you think like that about children? Children are God's gifts. Arrows to be sharpened, to be aimed, and to be shot out into the darkness to penetrate the enemy for the glory of Jesus Christ. That's what this is all about. We must take on our role. Especially if you're here as a parent, or if you might be a parent one day, you must take on your role of sharpening them, aiming them, shooting them out. We must pray that as we sharpen them, aim them, and shoot them out, that we don't do it in vain. Unless God builds a house, we labor in vain. But man, we got to sharpen them. Man, we got to aim them. Man, we got to send them out for His glory. We have to be watchmen in their lives. Now listen, unless unless God watches the city, we stay awake in vain. There's no doubt about that. But we are called to be watchmen in their lives. If you knew that there was a lion in your neighborhood, a lion let loose in your neighborhood, you would not let your kids go outside and play. And in the same way, Satan walks about like a roaring lion and wants to destroy them. He loved nothing more than to send your kids to hell forever. And you must rise up as a watchman, as a builder in their life. Rise up, mothers and fathers. Send out your arrows for the glory of God. I want to read a verse to you. I always feel warned. Judges 2, verse 10. I always feel very warned by this verse. Listen. When all that generation had been gathered to their fathers... Now speaking about the generation of Joshua. And if you read about this generation, this was a godly generation. A generation who loved God and walked with Him and obeyed Him and entered into the promised land. And when all that generation had been gathered to their fathers, listen, another generation arose after them who did not know the Lord nor the work which He had done for Israel. And I feel a warning in my soul. Another generation arose after them and they this godly generation, but the next generation didn't know God or the works He had done. And I feel a warning in my soul and I want you to feel it too. And I want it to cause you to say, God, I want to align with your will on training children according to your word. And then even that's not enough. Oh God, you must move in their lives or their life will be wasted too. I want you to be encouraged. I want to read something to you from 2 Timothy. I want you to be encouraged by Timothy's relationship with his mom second timothy chapter two excuse me chapter one verse five listen paul writes to timothy he says timothy when i call remembrance the genuine faith that is in you which dwelt first in your grandmother lois and your mother eunice and i'm persuaded is in you also you see what he says young mom is that an encouragement to you Oh, children are a heritage from the Lord. As you get ready to sharpen them up and send them out for the glory of God, here's a lady, Eunice and Lois, Grandma and Mama, that gave it to Timothy. And Timothy has a genuine faith. Look at chapter 3, verse 14. Timothy, you must continue in the things which you have learned and been assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them. Where did you learn them from? And then from childhood, Timothy, you have known The Holy Scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. Moms, be encouraged in the room. Here's this this woman that pours the Word of God into her son from childhood. And now Timothy is all over the globe taking the gospel. Not vain. Not wasted. I know at Grace Community Church, many of us are in a similar position. uh, similar position place of life when it comes to children and family and these sort of things. And and I want to encourage you, listen, we know it's hard. We all know that, okay? We all know that about us. We know we have hard things that go down. Parenting is the hardest thing I've ever done. My emotions are going nuts over kids. I'm crying all the time. Frustrated sometimes. All the time. So there's these emotions that are there. Listen to me. We know that it's hard. We know that. But we are in this together, okay? We, we're in this together to fight for each other, to help each other. And when my heart gets hardened and I get burdened, I begin to say things uh, in concerning children and parenting that is not in accordance with Psalm 127, I don't need your sympathy. I don't need you to say, I know, me too. I need you to say, listen, Ron, this is what God's word says about what you just said. I know that you feel like this, Ron, but listen to Psalm 127. Listen to the truth because you're believing lies from Satan. And we can be that for one another right in the midst of something like parenting, which is hard, right? Amen. Listen to these sweet words. About to move on, but listen to these sweet words. Happy is the man who has his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but shall speak with their enemies in the gates. Now, before we move on, I want to say something towards our families that have struggled. And I said something about this last week too, but I want to say something again. But our families that have struggled with infertility and not able to have children. Listen, I want to say something. Before Satan has a chance to try to plant things that are lies in your mind, I just want to cut it off. Okay. I want to cut off that those lies, cut off that deceit. Here's the at This Psalm, Psalm 127, does not mean the more children you have, the more God loves you. The less children you have, the less God loves you. It does not mean that, not even a little bit. What we looked at last week, Psalm 113 shows you God's posture towards you. If you're struggling with infertility and the posture towards you, it's Psalm 113, and in that last verse, it says that, that he grants the barren woman a home like a joyful mother of children. He leans in towards you, and when he thinks about the poor and needy and those who were hurt and those who have wept, he puts you in a special place according to Psalm 13. And not only that, not only that, but if you doubt God's love for you, listen to me. Romans 5:8, God shows his love for us, and then while we were sinners, Christ died for us. You cannot doubt God's love for you. The amount of children you have has nothing to do with God's love for you. Look to the cross. Look to the one that died for you. Look to the one that laid down his life for a sinful creature like you and me that does not deserve it. And this thing going on in your life is actually even good. God means you good. The scripture says you take away the dross from the silver and there comes out a vessel for the small." And so God takes you through this scenario, just like he does it with everybody through different scenarios. And he puts you in the fire, burns off the dross, but he means you good. Let's close by zooming out for just a moment. I want to kind of look at the higher perspective of this song. So try to go with me here. You have to think a little more, I think. <clears throat> what you think about it from a higher perspective in Psalm 127? Okay, what you think about Solomon wrote this Psalm, right? We've already said that. So it's coming from Solomon's perspective. So here's one thing we can learn about that. Solomon wrote these things, but his family, his life was in disarray. I mean, he began to worship the God Molech, where you actually you take you sacrifice children. It's like ancient abortion. You sac- sac- sacrifice these kids at the at the altar of Molech so here's this guy. What does that teach? Well, we can know these things and not live them out, right? So Solomon writes these things. I want you to think about Solomon's perspective. Unless the Lord builds the house, and this is the man that built the house of God. This is the man that built the temple of God. Unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain and build it. This is the king of Israel that reigns in Jerusalem. Unless, unless the Lord watches the city, the watchmen stay awake in vain. So here you got the house And you're thinking about Solomon's perspective, the house of the Lord, the temple of God. You've got the city over which they have guardians and watchmen, that city called Jerusalem. You've got the temple of God, which is in Jerusalem. You're thinking about Solomon's perspective. And then you think about the people of God. He turns the corner and says, children are heritage. Behold, children are heritage from the Lord. And what's in Solomon's mind? the people of God the, the increasing the extension generation after generation of the people of God dwelling in the city of God in the presence of God because the temple of God is right there. you see the picture here? So Solomon's perspective think about that for a moment. I then think about the, the, the post captivity Israel, you know, they were taken captive in the Babylon. And when, when Judah came back out of captivity. I want you to think about their perspective for just a moment. So you got Solomon's perspective. Now think about post-captivity Israel's perspective for just a moment. This is called at the very beginning of Psalm 127. It's called a song of ascents of Solomon. Song of a sin. And here's what this song of Ascent is. It's 15 psalms that were collected they seem to be, seem to have been collected sometime after a return from the Babylonian captivity. You know that because, like Psalm 126, it says it says uh, when the Lord brought back the captivity of Zion, we were like those who dreamed. So, so this collection, the and you can read about them starting in Psalm 120 and continue on 15 psalms called the Songs of Ascent, and they were used. You, you remember these people at these feast days; those that didn't live in Jerusalem. You got Hannah and her family, or Jesus and His family when He was a young, a young boy, and you got these pictures of them on these feast days or on these Passover or different events. They would travel into Jerusalem, and the way it says in Acts 18 is they went up to Jerusalem. It's, Up high on the mountain, the the highest place. They go up to Jerusalem. They are ascending. This is a song of ascent. So you imagine this group of songs being a special place as the the people, the pilgrims, the the, the pilgrims of God's people begin to travel into Jerusalem and they're singing these songs. And you go back and read the song of ascent, and you can see how it's fitting all the way through there. They sing things like, as the mountains surround Jerusalem so God surrounds his people they see it they're walking toward it so think about the song of ascension i want you to imagine these people walking up and they see the temple and this the temple and the city and the people of god this was so important to them this was massively important to them you see god came to dwell with his pe- people he came to do that in the temple to dwell with his people and so to these people, that they have songs about that city Jerusalem and that temple that dwells there. This is so important to these people. So you imagine them coming up and they, and they see that temple. They come up over the hill and they begin to see it. And they say, unless the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain who build it. We saw that one in Solomon built. We saw it come down and it's been rebuilt. It's not the same, but listen to me. Unless God builds a house, they labor in vain. Unless God watches over this city that we're walking toward, that we're walking into the gates of. Unless God guards the city, we stay awake. The watchmen stay awake in vain. And then behold, children. Behold, children, the people of God. We want to see the people of God increase in the city of God, in the presence of God, in the temple of God. We want to see the people of God increase their generation after generation after generation. Therefore, children are a heritage from the Lord. The fruit of the womb is a reward. you feel like you're getting some of this mindset? you get this mindset? Because I want, to, I, want to, I want you to try to bring it to our perspective, okay? So if you get this mindset, think about this from our perspective. The temple, The temple was a picture, a symbol, Along with its sacrifices. God set this up. from You you know you got the people of God dwelling in the garden of Eden. In the presence of God. They sin, They're kicked out. God gives a temple. A tabernacle then a temple. To be a picture. To teach these people. How you're going to enter back into the presence of God. Like you were in the garden of Eden. Okay so here's the picture. You're going to come in but you're sinful. You can't come into the presence of God. Take a lamb. And slaughter it. Slow that lamb. And and the the sins that you have that keep you out of the presence of God are going to be put on that lamb. They're going to be put on his head. And he's going to take the brunt of the wrath of God instead of you. And here's this symbol that the temple, we are entering into the presence of God one day. Go read about it in Revelation 21, Revelation 22. We're entering into the Holy of Holies. And the only reason we can come there is because the Lamb of God was slain. Jesus was crucified for us. And so we can enter back into his presence. And so we're thinking about the house of God, the place where God dwells with his people and the sacrifices there. And, and we're thinking about the city of God. And this, the city of God was a foreshadowing. Jerusalem was a foreshadowing of that city in Revelation 21 and 22 that's going to come down out of heaven. The city, the new Jerusalem that's going to come down and we're going to dwell with Christ forever. So here's what I want you to think about. Here, we're thinking that way. Behold, children. What about the people of God? How does that apply to us? How do we think through the people of God applied to us? Just like they wanted, they saw the people of God. Children are a blessing from God. They saw that because they wanted to extend the people of God and the presence of God for generation after generation. Even so, we want the same. We want that. So, I want you to picture our lives here, right at the end, as we conclude. Picture our lives as a pilgrimage. Going towards that heavenly city. Just like these people moving towards Jerusalem. Our pilgrimage. Moving towards that heavenly city. city, Towards that new Jerusalem. like, Like Christian in Pilgrim's Progress. Moving towards. Traveling towards. Journeying towards the celestial city. Think about our lives like that. And the whole way through. Here we go. And we're moving towards that new city. Into the presence. The house of God. And what do we want to do as we go? We want the people of God. Just like they want to behold children are heritage from the Lord. We want more and more people. As many people that will get with us on this path. To head towards the celestial city. We want them to come with us. It's like that song that we sing. I think it's from We Are the Body of Christ. It says, we travel this road that leads to freedom. Reaching out our hands for the dying. And this is our life. Here we go. The people... Of God, And one way that we add to the people of God as we head towards that new Jerusalem, one way that we do that is through children. Arrows in the hands of a warrior. But that's not the only way. And if you get the heart behind children, if you get God's heart, his reason behind children and his desires for children, then you'll see how every person in the room, whether you have children or not, this applies to you. Listen, listen, think about children for a moment. Genesis chapter 1 verse 26 through 28. God created man in His own image. In the image of God, He created them. Male and female, He created them. And He blessed them. And He said to them, Be fruitful, multiply, fill the earth. Why, God? Why fill the earth? Because these people are in my image. Fill the earth with the image of God. Fill the earth with my glory and my praise. Just fill up the earth with it. Now obviously man has fallen. We've sinned against Him, but listen, the same heart that's there is the heart of the Great Commission in Matthew 28, when He says, Go therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you, and behold, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the age. Go make disciples any kind of impact that you have taken other people. As you're on this road to the New Jerusalem and you're preaching the gospel and souls are being saved. And you're teaching the word of God and people are being built up. An army is being gathered together to walk with you to that road that leads to freedom. And I want us to be all about that so that our life is not in vain. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for these things. Thank you for your word. God, help us, Lord, to live it out. Help us to get it deep in our souls and in our hearts, Lord. God, help us not to leave this song and be unchanged by it. Correct us, God. Rebuke us. Encourage us. Build us up, Lord, because we want to honor you and glorify you in the best way we can. Thank you, Lord, for your help. In Jesus' name, amen.